You are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. What are we supposed to do now? Let's bring back the circle again. <laughs> Let's bring back the circle again. The circle of friends, the circle of family, the circle of being. Wake up! Oh, yeah, that was a good wake up. <laughs> to peace and joy of Mother Earth, you are listening to Your Community Spirit on Your Community Radio. This is Orr and Energy Mon. And this is Tree Song. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I had the distinct pain in the butt to put together the show today. So if there's <laughs> happenings that are missing, don't blame anybody but me. Because I fought the email this morning and the email, yeah, I guess it won. Because, I mean, it took me well over an hour to put together an email. <laughs> Just yeah. like, so, but... People got their news um, who are on our newsletter list, got the news before we talked about it on the radio this morning. Yeah, so if you're on the list, you can read along as we read these stories. Of course, our unique personalities will um, change these stories into better. Yeah, our witty banter helps, helps you laugh during witty. some of the harder. Hopefully witty. Um, Hopefully banter. Bernie Sanders wants to ban offshore drilling and fossil fuel development on federal land. Now, um, I have the joy and distinct pleasure of having a past um, hardcore organizer who worked for me, now works for Bernie Sanders. Yeah, so, I know her too. She used to work with environmental groups around here, and now she's working with Bernie Sanders. So yeah. We get to hear news sometimes. Just as it's breaking, we'll hear it from her too. So she actually posted a, a live video of the press conference on Wednesday of... Um, him talking about the fact that Americans think climate change is happening. Hmm. Okay, now we'll go into a news story afterwards that say, but they don't care. <laughs> you know, just like, yeah. but Bernie Sanders does care. Bernie Sanders announced on Wednesday afternoon his support for a new climate bill that would ban all new fossil fuel development on U.S. federal lands and terminate current leases that aren't producing. The bill called, quote, Keep It in the Ground Act, end quote, would also ban offshore drilling for oil and gas in the Arctic and the Atlantic and would stop new leases for offshore drilling in the Pacific and the Gulf of Mexico. Whoa. So this is what happens when oil companies can't pay somebody off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like when the oil companies can't buy you, you <laughs> actually start talking about fossil fuels issues. Quote, I believe all of us have a moral responsibility, Sanders told the rally at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. Now, for me, it was interesting watching the video. Um, well, listening to the video, because in the background, you could hear construction happening somewhere. Because <laughs> yeah. they were on the lawn at the what? Like, so there was construction happening somewhere. And you probably didn't hear that on the mainstream, you know, because they had better mics instead. So. Now. At the rally, they had, he had Bill McKibben there, the founder of the Environmental Advocacy Group, 350.org. To end and finish Sanders' quote, I believe all of us have a moral responsibility. That's just the simple truth. 
end quote. If the U.S. doesn't act more aggressively to limit carbon emissions from burning fossil fuels, Sanders said, quote, the planet that we're going to be leaving for our children is something we should be ashamed of, end quote. The Vermont senator joined Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley, Democrat, to make the announcement. According to a brief press release issued by Merkley's office, the legislation is designed to keep, quote, over 90% of the potential carbon emissions from oil, gas, and coal on our federal lands and federal waters underground forever, end quote. Now, let me... Should I go off on an editorial about uh-huh. there? There are people who want to, you know, put it back in the ground, right? That's that um, carbon sequestration. Yeah, some people so want to do carbon take it out, burn it, and then put it back in. So, th- I mean, they should sponsor this bill. It's you know, <laughs> yeah. keep it in the ground forever, and that you know, yeah, this got tag on the- tag on there that you know we want to burn the coal and then put it back in. Yeah, you know, well, this cuts out the middleman. You know, instead of burning it and then trying to capture it back out of the atmosphere. You just leave it in the ground. <laughs> oh, wait. That <laughs> it's a much simpler sense. process. Okay. Along with Sanders, the bu- bill is co-sponsored by Senators Barbara Boxer, um, Democrat from California, Ben Cardin, Democrat from Maryland, Christine Gillibrand, Democrat from New York, Patrick Lealy, Democrat from Vermont, and Elizabeth Warren, Democrat from Massachusetts. Got some hard hitters here. Yeah. I mean, as in, I recognize them. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> we know their names, so they must be big. <laughs> Just like Sanders also took the opportunity to attack Republican rivals who resist embracing action on climate change, pointing out that they don't deny the science that smoking causes cancer. Quote, but somehow, somehow, when it comes to climate change, there are massive attacks on scientists who tell us the truth about climate change. End quote. Quote, worry less about your campaign contributions. Worry more about your children and grandchildren. The debate is over, yeah. Sanders told his Republican colleagues. That's a good quote. That's definitely something I'm thinking of as a father, father-to-be. You know, it's, I've always been caring about climate change, but now it becomes very personal when you think about uh, what will the world be like for my child in 20 years, you know. Now, Sanders' announcement could open up a difference between his rival in the Democratic primary, Hillary Clinton, who has also made climate change central to her run for the White House. They've reached out to Clinton's campaign for reaction. Of course, the campaign has not responded. Yeah. Well, it takes some time to copy and paste what Bernie Sanders said. So, <laughs> Just like, yeah. Um, but yeah, how do you respond to... We don't want to take any more stuff out of the ground. Mm-hmm. I don't like that is extremely r- radical. Yeah, it's rare for a politician to say that. I mean, there are a lot of people who study climate science who are saying things like that because if we want to stop the worst catastrophic impacts of climate change, we need to keep most of the fossil fuels in the ground. So, climate scientists are saying it, some policymakers are saying it, but an actual, you know, sitting congressperson and candidate for president saying it, that's a pretty big deal. With backing. With backing, yeah. With all you these know, people with backing co-sponsors them. of the bill. Yeah. Because if one person in Congress says it, you know, they're just like, oh, that's a crazy person. <laughs> and that's happened sometimes. Like when they were trying to stop the war in Iraq, for example. There were just like a couple people who said no, and everybody said yes. But this is a case, it's got some backing now, and it's, it's got some potential. 
All right, so on to some of the other news. Polluting industries took over this California city. Now residents are taking it back. What? <laughs> taking back the city. The city of commerce. <laughs> yes. The name of the city is Commerce, <laughs> California. Yeah. So That's the- kind of, it's kind of ironic. It's like here in Carbondale when we're, <laughs> we're trying to work against you know, uh, fossil fuels and the town is named Carbondale. <laughs> but here, yeah, the city is named Commerce. And so people are. But it's a municipality it. of only thirteen thousand people. Yeah, thirteen thousand people. So are they all like super business people? You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's. How does the town of Commerce not be big? Yeah. <laughs> well, know? it's just a short distance from downtown Los Angeles, and it's long been the re- recipient of some of the region's worst pollution. Maybe that's why it doesn't have more than thirteen thousand people. <laughs> Commerce is the unlucky inheritor of decades of poor planning which has saddled its residents with health-threatening conditions and few resources to handle them. But those residents began organizing for change years ago. In September, they won their city's council's approval of a Green Zones Ordinance, a unique set of policy changes that aim to clean up their community. The ordinance is extensive and includes objectives to reduce pollution, revitalize the local economy, and reinvest in the community's well-being. The ordinance sets out strategies, initiatives, and timetables for achievement. And we've got a link to more information about the ordinance. Because it's a really long, detailed article. (laughs) And so um, if you would like to uh, receive more information, go to grist.org and look up Polluting Industries Took Over This California City. Now residents are taking it back. Yeah. And And it's one thing that's happening a lot more now because people often look for to the, the, the federal level to say, oh, let's get these big national policies. But since it's taking so long for those to go through, there are a lot of people in local cities who are saying, hey, we care about our, our future, we care about our children, let's do something about pollution. Have you ever read the little novel Ecotopia? Yeah, I have read that. Basically, that's what this is, is the beginning of Ecotopia. <laughs> Ecotopia, what ended up happening is California succeeded from the union and said no pollution is allowed in our country. Hmm. And they literally successfully sued any other country that allowed pollution to drift over on their country. Yeah. So primarily in their case, they were suing like Asian countries. Like right now, Japan, you know, the the nuclear disaster they had over there is affecting California. Yeah. And so polluting, but it could be any polluting country. They wouldn't even allow planes to fly over their country because that would cause pollution to fall on their country. Yeah. And so Ecotopia, a book written in the 70s maybe? I think the 70s, yeah. It was a long time It's like ago. 150 pages and um, very interesting story. So. Yeah, interesting story. Pretty quick read too. And this is, this is a way, if you're feeling all, all sorts of overwhelmed about, oh, what can I do to affect the course of global energy usage? Well, you can start in your local city. You know, you may not have a, a direct line to the president of the United States, but you might be able to talk to a city council. Who knows? I might or... vote for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. If, if Bernie Sanders gets elected, we may be one step away from Bernie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, until that day, we can always talk to, you know, there's also uh, county level governments that people can focus on as well. There's a lot you can do locally to try to create change. Think global, act local. Is the rest of the world's climate action saving the U.S. billions of dollars? 
I liked. I was saying saving the U.S. and then I added the billions of dollars. So mm. you know, doing both. Yeah. A new report bobbing around the climate policy water suggests that over the past five years alone, the United States has directly benefited from international climate action to the tune of at least sixty billion dollars, and that number could be as high as two hundred and thirty-one billion dollars. <laughs> I think other countries are going to have to just start like suing us for paying for these programs yeah or at least send us an invoice you know <laughs> just like, we've saved you billions of dollars here's our, our bill what's more argues nyu laws institute of policy integrity is that if countries follow through on their climate pledges the u.s stands to benefit by more than two trillion dollars over the next 15 years Imagine the size of the wall America could build with two trillion greenbacks. <laughs> These are words carefully chosen, though. What does it actually mean to directly benefit from climate action? To punch out dollar figures, the Institute of Policy Integrity, IPI, report leverages a metric called the social cost of carbon. The basic idea here is that CO2 emissions are fairly awful for the world as we know it. And pricing emissions per ton in uh, monetary, but it says a commensurate? Yeah, commensurate. I yeah. like, <laughs> um, would allow policymakers to better conduct cost-benefit analysis surrounding climate action. Right now, a U.S. federal working group pegs the social cost of carbon at about $41 per ton, although this value is a subject of much, much economic debate. So the benefits of carbon cuts are simply the opposite of their social cost had they been emitted. Now, I do know some groups are actually out there, you know, because there's um, carbon credits where companies are allowed to pollute. And some groups like the Sierra Club, for example, are buying up these carbon credits and retiring them. Yeah. So basically not allowing carbon because, you know, a power plant is giving so many carbon credits, the ability to pollute so much. Mm. And then if they pollute less, they can sell those. Yeah. And then they sell them to environmentalists and the environmentalists sit on them saying, no one should do this polluting. Well, mm. I mean, the, the program was originally to allow other people to pollute more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But some people are buying them up. They cost $41 a piece. So you can buy a lot for a little. So. Yeah, and the, the calculations themselves are pretty fickle. There's some disagreement on exactly how much these uh, carbon costs are worth. But it's basically, I do like the effort to try to put some number on it just to motivate people. Because we know that emitting all of that CO2 and other greenhouse gases is having a tremendously negative effect. So some people can't really look at it in terms of generalities. You have to point out a specific number to them in order to motivate them. And then they say, oh, my, you know, that's a ton of harm we're doing. I mean, the squishy nature of the numbers doesn't mean that this report isn't an important effort. Yeah. I mean, to say that you are polluting a lot... And these other countries are paying for it. Yeah. Yep. So well, and that's, this, is, this is interesting, especially in the lead up to Paris right now. So. Yeah, the Paris climate talks coming up uh, next month. 
this is a big deal. And it's, it's kind of ironic, too, because the, uh, the U.S. and some of its companies have been responsible historically for so much of the emissions. So then if other countries are spending in order to benefit us economically, um, that's, that's quite ironic. And so, it's, good, it's good if countries work together in order to face a common threat like this, you know. Well, I mean, right now, you know, the EPA has the Clean Power Plan, and that is estimated to cost up to $8 billion a year. That's a lot of money. Yeah. But the Clean Power Plan benefits to the U.S. public health is up to $34 billion a year. Yeah. And, and spending on public health, you know, it's this double benefit of, yes, we're saving, you know, 30-some billion dollars in, econ- in economic costs to our health system, but we're also going to be healthier. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's not just that we're saving money. It means just imagine if, you know, 30-some billion dollars worth of medical expenses didn't happen because we were that much healthier. <laughs> Isn't that quite a, a vision for the future? To be thirty-eight billion dollars healthier. <laughs> Just like that's a lot of like you know. Man, I like to be like hundred dollars healthier. Yeah, yeah, I would take hundred dollars healthier. You know. So uh, any public policy we can do that is going to keep us healthier, that's probably a good move. What do you think of daylight savings time? Oh, daylight savings time. <laughs> huh? I've got mixed feelings. I, I and, feel and, like it's probably they, unnecessary. They, they've changed the time to. Um, I mean, it used to be. I mean, we just did it, and it used to be, it seemed like to me, more like like a month ago. Yeah, they used to do the changeover earlier. They started doing it later for some reason to test and see how it affected things environmentally. So we have, yeah, the next question is, turns out daylight savings time really does suck. <laughs> so somebody asked Dear Umbra from the grist.org about daylight savings time. Uh, is there any real impact in terms of energy consumption in the context of our 24-7, mostly urban society? So here's some of her response. Uh, if I may make a suggestion before we start, please brew yourself a nice strong cup of coffee and seat yourself next to a sunny window. There, isn't that better? Uh, so getting into the details of it, though, you're not the only one grumpy about falling back. There are even petitions afoot to this end to end this tradition which the U.S. first adopted in 1918. But the government here and in many places all over the world persists with the practice of setting the clocks back one hour in the fall, and add one in the spring. One of the primary arguments is that extending sunlight into the evening longer in the spring will reduce the need to flick on the lights, therefore reducing electricity use. It's a nice idea if it actually works, and I'm afraid I must report that recent research is casting doubt on the whole scheme. So what gives? According to a 2008 study in Indiana... In Indiana. Do I trust it? <laughs> yeah, well, we're, cl- we're pretty close to Indiana. It doesn't Indiana. say who, just someone in yeah. Indiana. Someone in Indiana. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure if we follow the links, we'd get a lot more and, details. I mean, re- resetting the clocks, you know, saves a little energy on the money of lights, but then it increases it on the heating or cooling. Yeah. You know, because, you know, getting up an hour earlier, you turn up the heat and... Uh, the house and that of course changes it tremendously yeah so um daylight savings time actually increased energy demand by one percent statewide in indiana and up to four percent in the late summer and early fall when the heating and cooling needs were greatest so that's in indiana yeah we're not totally off the hook about our electric lights either say scientists at the university of washington 
Sure, we save some light in those evening hours, but make it up with it for the darker lamplit mornings. So, yeah. So basically, I mean, you're just shifting by an hour. It it seems like it really isn't helping the way that they thought it would. And so another effect too is that uh, when it's lighter longer, uh, we actually drive more. So we're we may be saving on some of our usage of lights, but we're increasing our driving and our heat usage. So it may actually cancel out or or go in the opposite direction. We may actually be using more energy. So, you know, I talk about energy efficiency all the time. But, I mean, if you don't like daylight savings time, I mean, you could move to a few places. I mean, Arizona, Hawaii, uh, America, Samoa, and Guam don't do it. Yeah. So, So, right about now... Sounds about right. Well, it's not too bad out, actually. Maybe in a month or so, we can move to one of these places. <laughs> Just, uh... Yeah. Yeah, so in the meantime, if you're concerned about the, the light, you can install energy-efficient bulbs and such. But it does sound like a shift away from daylight savings time could actually save us energy, which is ironic because one of the arguments in favor of it now is this perception that daylight savings time saves us energy. Right, and they changed the time of the daylight savings time to say it'll save us energy. Yeah. And it apparently is negligible. I mean, yeah. Um, so who knows? I don't really know why we have it at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like it's one of those things we've been doing for a long time, and we're just doing it for the sake of doing it. And the it's evidence, annoying. Yeah, the evidence <laughs> is starting to indicate we don't need to do it anymore. Just like some other things. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's another story. Most Americans accept that climate change is real. What? <gasps> they just don't care that much about oh. it. <laughs> just like... There's a lot of worry about the U.S. Uh, a, a lot to worry about in the U.S. these days. There are the Chipotle closures in Washington and Oregon and fantasy football team... You know, Justin Bieber is out there having new music videos. So there's a lot on the Americans' minds these days. But one thing that most Americans are not worried about, however, is climate change. That's according to a new poll conducted by the Associated Press and the NORC Center for Public Affairs Research. This doesn't mean that they don't accept that it's happening. Okay, that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, knowing is half the battle. <laughs> Two-thirds of Americans accept that climate change is happening. Yeah, and I've seen, it depends on the poll, there are some that put it even higher, like, you know, I 70%. Saw three, yeah, three quarters, yeah. Yeah, so they just, they know it's happening, they just don't care very much. So according to AP, the APNORC poll, taken in mid-October, shows that about two out of three Americans accept global warming, and the vast majority of those say human activities are at least part of the cause. I don't understand why we, like, make a big deal about these polls. <laughs> this was a poll of a thousand people. Yeah. It's <laughs> just like, number one, it's people that were home to answer the phone. Mm -hmm. And then we, you know, we, we talk about, you know, a poll. When are they going to do a poll of like 100,000 people or, you yeah, know, a million people? <laughs> or, you know, it's just like a, a, a majority poll. Yeah. I well, think that's called voting. Voting, yeah. That's one <laughs> just that, like, they do that once every four years and they still don't get very many people showing up. But yeah, there's actually some interesting math that goes into polling where. You know, if you if you randomly select the people, then the chances are very low that you'll just randomly get a, an unrepresentative sample. But, I, I mean, it's people who will answer the phone to a stranger. 
Yeah. So that is one thing they have to think about is that is one factor that could skew it. I mean, I have a business phone that I'm supposed to answer for everybody. Yeah. And I don't always answer the phone. Yeah. Yeah, I always I don't always answer for unknown numbers. I usually don't actually. <laughs> but yeah, they did poll people though, and about one out of three of them are modestly worried, and the highest percentage of those polled, thirty eight percent, were not too worried or not worried at all. Now this is part of where I feel like there's still some education that needs to be involved. People have gotten educated enough to know that global warming is happening and to know that humans are playing a role in it, but they still don't seem aware of the consequences, that it's not just, oh, it's going to get slightly warmer, I may have to turn up the air conditioner. (laughs) There are much more serious consequences than that. So what's the problem? It's almost like there's a meteor on a direct collision path with Earth, and instead of sending Bruce Willis out to smash it up, we're just all staring at the sky going, cool rock, man. (laughs) Yeah. The issue, according to the AP, is that while data might convince people that climate change is happening, it doesn't seem to make it seem like the problem personally affects us. But it does. Quote, we're all vulnerable to the impacts. Climate scientist Chris Field of the Carnegie Institute told AP. If you're a farmer in Illinois, or if you work on a railroad in Alabama... Or if you're a miner in West Virginia, there are impacts that are going to affect your life, your health, and you're going to pay for things in the grocery store. Yeah. So. So, yeah. So, stories about how it's going to affect Americans personally may be a big help in this case. Because it's, you know, if it's a big general problem that they don't think affects them personally, then they may not want to take action on it. All right. We better get into the happenings. Yes. Um, or, yeah, let's skip holidays. Are there any good holidays? Well, today is zero tasking day, so <laughs> don't get anything done today. Yeah. So, um, two, next Tuesday is the anniversary of area codes. So we finally got around to that. Yeah. And the birthday of Carl Sagan's coming up on Monday. Look at that. <laughs> All right. Happenings. Um, Carbondale Community Farmers Market, the first indoor market. From now on, they will be inside, inside the Carbondale Community High School on Saturdays from 9 until noon. And until they run out of money, probably at the end of the year, the Double Up Foods Bucks, if you have a link or snap, spend $10, they'll give you $20 in tokens to spend at the market. Yeah. It's a good program. It helps people who need food get more food, and it helps the farmers sell more of their food. So also coming up on Saturday, we have the November Vigil for Peace and Justice. This one is called Let's Stop Making Enemies. It seems like a reasonable request, right? On Saturday from noon to 1 p.m. at the corner of Maine and Illinois in Carbondale, the Peace Coalition of Southern Illinois will hold the monthly Vigil for Peace and Justice in response to the recent bombings of hospitals in Afghanistan and Yemen. This month's vigil theme is Let's Stop Making Enemies. The Peace Coalition wishes to remind all that Doctors Without Borders hospitals in Afghanistan and Yemen have been bombed despite knowing of their locations with loss of life to patients and healthcare workers. So this is coming up on Saturday at noon at the Town Square. For more information, you can call 618-521-4239 or just show up on Saturday. And I'm glad they're keeping that uh, knowledge of that the, the bombings in people's attention because we shouldn't in my opinion we shouldn't go around bombing hospitals that's just a very controversial opinion i'm sure but 
Let's well, not I mean, bomb any when hospitals. You're, when you're bombing with drones, it's a lot more impersonable. Yeah. I mean, they're trying to say it's it's more of a surgical strike, right? Yeah, they, they always discuss it as a surgical strike, but then they know the position of a hospital and they end up bombing the hospital. It doesn't seem very surgical. It's it, it seems the exact opposite of surgical. They're destroying surgery. There's actually a quote here that says, Nearly 90% of the people killed in airstrikes were not the intended target in one five-month period. The administration is simply treating the entire world like a battlefield, in the words of the Friends Committee on National Legislation. Yeah. If so you're, the, I, I wouldn't say treating it as a battlefield. I would say treating it as a video game. Yeah. Like, imagine if your surgeon was saying he was going to take out your appendix, but 90% of the time he took out some other organ. <laughs> you probably like, wouldn't go to that surgeon, would you? Just like, who, who goes to the U.S. government to, say, bomb us? <laughs> just like, <laughs> yeah. So kudos to the Peace Coalition for drawing attention to that. Merchants of Doubt film showing Thursday, November 12th at 7 p.m. at the Goyan Auditorium at Morris Library. Inspired by the claimed book, Merchants of Doubt takes audiences on a satirical, comedic, yet illuminating ride into the heart of conjuring American spin. The filmmaker lifts the curtain on a secretive group of highly charismatic silver-tongued pundits for hire who present themselves in the media as scientific authorities, yet have the contrary aim of spreading maximum confusion about well-studied public threats ranging from toxic chemicals to pharmaceuticals to climate change. Yeah. Holy camoly, that's an interesting. Yeah, I, I'm so excited about this movie. It's Thursday, 7 p.m., Morris Library, the Guyon Auditorium, and some of the same people and companies that were uh, going on TV talking about how tobacco was supposedly safe, <coughs> they're also doing the same now about global warming. And this film is a really interesting exploration of that, like how they put spin on it and confuse people about the science. All right. Mark your calendar for three events, not, not this weekend, <clears throat> but the I Can Read annual fundraiser is Saturday, November 14th at 6 p.m. at the Carbondale Elks Lodge. And the Science Center, the Science of Cocktails, is Saturday, November 14th at 5 p.m. at the Garden Grove Event Center. And also, the Labyrinth Peace Park Labyrinth Walk is Sunday, December 6th at 7 a.m. Mark your calendars for those events. If there's anything we talked about and you would like to learn more about it, please email us at info at yourcommunityspirit.org. You can also send an email to that um, that has a PayPal link with money. Yeah. I heard you could do that. You can email money. Email money. It's just like... To keep um, the show going. <laughs> keep the show going. Um, you could also send us happenings that are happening in town, and we can talk about them. And help make them happen by talking about them. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and thanks to our streaming listeners for listening, too. I uh, know we've got at least one listener on the streaming right now, so um, it's good to have the streaming back. And it's good to have all of the terrestrial radio listeners as well. I want to thank... Silkworm for being the sponsor for our online stream. Yes. You can go to WDBX.org and find the online stream. If you're listening now online, send us an email, info at yourcommunityspirit.org, and say thank you to us. Hmm. <laughs> we'll see you again on the radio next week, live, local, and in your ear hole. <laughs> in your face.